You're listening to a Fat Cat Media Podcast. If you love caravanning, four-wheel driving, fishing, camping, gold detecting, exploring places, history and visiting destinations all rolled into each episode, welcome to the Road Less Travel Podcast, a podcast that documents and captures the Australian spirit of travel, discovery and adventure. And each week you can join myself where together we'll experience adventures all around Australia with glimpses into a world that's faded into history. The people, the places, the way of life. This is the Road Less Travelled. This is The Road Less Travelled, presented by Nikki Shea. The Road Less Travelled. G'day everyone, it's Nikki Shea back in the seat. Welcome to this week's edition of The Road Less Travelled. You can follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for The Road Less Travelled Podcast 2021 on Instagram and you can search for The Road Less Travelled Podcast on Facebook. I have to say to a massive shout out to all the support that we've been getting, not only in Australia but overseas as well and the platform that everyone seems to be listening to the show is through Spotify. So outside of Australia, our biggest audience comes from the United States. So if you're listening abroad, welcome to The Road Less Travelled. Thank you so much for your support and as always if you'd like to interact you can drop me an email which is fatcat at iinet.net.au sms or phone call on 042-752-8467 and to find out more about what we do with the road less travelled and other interests we have with Fat Cat Media simply visit the the website that we have which is fatcatmedia.com.au and you can also search Fat Cat Media on Facebook we're on social media there too this week we're getting right back out into the outback and this week I thought we'd talk about the Burrsville track if you've never done it I it's one of the things that I really thoroughly recommend that you do For those who know nothing about it, it's a notable outback road in Australia. Its 517-kilometre track runs between Birdsville in southwestern Queensland and Maree, which is a small town in the northeastern part of South Australia. The Birdsville track traverses three deserts along the route, the Streslecki Desert, Sturts, Stony Desert and the Tirari Desert. And originally the track was of poor quality and suitable for high-clearance four-wheel drive vehicle only. But today and now it's a graded dirt road and a popular tourist route to boot. It's also used by cattle trucks carrying livestock and the track passes through one of the driest parts of Australia with an average rainfall of less than 100 millimetres annually. The area is extremely barren, dry and isolated and travellers should carry plenty of water and supplies in case of emergencies. And it is one of Australia's great icons of the Aussie outback. And whilst it is actually inside track that is strictly follows the old stock route which was established in the 1860s, most travellers today use what is known as the outside track which was created in the 1960s to avoid the main hazards of the Diamantina floodplain. Now track maintenance have meant that the track is passable by conventional vehicles most of the time of year and I say most but in fact many four-wheel drivers consider the track more of a highway and some will tow caravans but despite this track conditions are rough and very challenging. The surface is generally extremely dry on a sort of sandy base covered with large pebbles, very large pebbles called gibbers, and travelling speeds vary depending on conditions of the road and of course the load that you happen to be driving in or towing. The track will take its toll on tyres and travellers in four-wheel drive vehicles who are much better positioned to handle the terrain and minimise breakdowns and tyre punctures. Now, unfortunately many people, they underestimate outback conditions and there are many serious accidents on this track and the reasons usually come down to driver error with sudden braking at speed on slippery gibbers playing a big part. Now these gibbers are piled thick, you'll hear them crunch beneath your tyres and they're also prone to be kicking up by rear tyres and flick back to cause stone damage on trailers, rear windows and passing windscreens. 
The gibbers make for difficult traction if you start to slide around a corner and many cattle grids appear quite unexpectedly so make sure that you keep your speed appropriate to what you can handle with your vehicle and your load. It's advised by the locals that you keep tyre pressures low to improve your traction but don't worry the gibbers have round edges and stone fractures are unlikely. Now as always expect the unexpected and the dangers are things like straying cattle crazy emus and kangaroos that will dart out of nowhere and other less obvious hazards are the cattle grids with mound rises and narrow openings and that's because of the dusty haze and low contrast surrounds that can appear unexpectedly. The terrain on the Burnsville track it varies considerably from harsh red stones of the Sturt Stony Desert to the yellow dunes of the Natarini Sandhills. You can try starting your trip in the late afternoon to experience the richness of the desert colours. And without a field guidebook, the trick could be easily done in a full day, but you'd just be blasting along the dirt road, missing out on all the history and, of course, missing out on all the sights. Now, very little is marked or sighted, and you really need to know what you're looking for to get the most out of your trip. Make, make sure that you take your time to meet the station owners, the storekeepers and the pub proprietors in one of Australia's most remote and lowly regions. And you can prepare by reading the history of the Birdville track and, and its icons such as Tom Cruise. There are videos and books and some great guidebooks uh, that will provide you with some background on the region and identify some ruins and their significance. And that way you won't be just another tourist that blasts down the track, arriving at the end disappointed to say the Birdville track is just a highway because it is so much more than that. So what's the environment like? Well, look, as I said, it's surrounded by deserts. Sturt Stony Desert in the southern and central parts and the Strzokli and Simpson Desert in the north. And despite the apparent barrenness of the region, the Birdsville Track area is considered to be good cattle country. And in fact, organic beef is produced in this area with livestock free from ticks and hence no need for chemical treatments. Now, surface water is rare unless there's been flooding. However, there are many artesian bores that were sunk by the Afghan cameleers and are still operable and create deserts of pretty much like desert oasis, attracting bird life and interesting stops. So up until the 1930s, only stock and the Afghan camel trains would use the Burzville track. It was first pioneered by the surveyor E.A. Burt in the 1880s and drovers would take about five weeks to move the cattle from stations in Queensland to the railhead at Maree in South Australia. The journey to market was notorious with the lives of many people and stock lost in some of Australia's driest country. In an area of extreme summer temperatures, dust storms and no surface water, they had to cross wide Gibber Plains. The Natarini Sandhills and the few times they saw rain, the Cooper Creek flooded and the progress was just simply not possible. But over time, artesian bores were drilled in at 40 kilometre intervals all along uh, along the Burzville track and to make the movement of stock easier. And the Afghan camel trains were the only means of transporting supplies and mail was delivered by buggies drawn by bullocks and horses. In pre-Federation, Birdsville was a major toll collection point for the droves of cattle en route to market. However, tolls were eventually abolished and the town's population dwindled. And just as a side note, if you want to know more about some of the Afghan cameleers in Australia, there is a fantastic book that I've been reading and it's by Ryan Butters and it's called uh, The Ballad of Abdul Wade and it is a fantastic Australian yarn true story about uh, Abdul Wade who was a uh, Afghan cameleer came over to Australia and ended up being a massive uh, 
property baron, um, land baron as well, and one of the first and longest serving uh, Cameliers of the Outback. Fantastic stories called the Battle of Abdulway. So in 1936, the first vehicle-based mail run to the area commenced with Tom Cruise. He became the first person to tackle the journey in his Leyland Badger truck, yet he suffered many hardships on each trip, and although the supply run was reduced from five weeks to two weeks, it was still a feat of endurance. And the story of Tom Cruise is a fantastic uh, one, of, one of endurance as well. Despite Tom's mail run and the cattle droves, few people outside of the area actually knew of the Birdsville track, and that was until the 1950s. 54 documentary The Back of Beyond. Now this film depicts the extreme obstacles faced by Tom in tackling the arduous journey along the Burrsville track including breakdowns, flooding creeks and rivers and getting bogged in desert dunes but it also shows the strength of the man and the people of the communities in the region. When the treacherous Goida Lagoon was bulldozed in the 1960s, drivers were able to use the new outer track to avoid the main hazards of the Diamantina floodplain. Following this, locals, cattle trucks and tourists began to use the track more regularly and today, due to the maintenance, Spursville track is usable now by conventional vehicles for most of the year. Most travellers these days stop at the Mungerini pub is all that's left of the atmosphere of the track. The sites are mostly bores and hills with occasional grave sites and ruins but the most notable thing about the Burrsville track is imagining what it would have been like for the original mailman and the stockmen who travelled the track before the road was in its present state and you can see the actual vehicle used by Tom the moment when you get to Marie at the end of the Birdsville track it's displayed opposite the pub when we come back on the road less traveled we will talk about preparation and what you should do before you even head towards Birdsville back with more in just a moment this is the road less travel podcast fat cat media offers consultancy and advice if you are a motocross racer motorcycle racer trying to get ahead in the sport or perhaps you have a business in the motorcycle industry or you're hosting an event a stage show or a race meeting with over 25 years in industry knowledge and experience we can help on a variety of platforms whether it be as a racer or for those within the motorcycle and motorsport industry we help you individually and your event with clear and strong strategic plans with direction on how to achieve your goals as a racer or hosting an event within the industry for more information email fatcat at iinet.net.au now before heading anywhere make sure that you refer to road reports published by the local shires and or main roads for the area that you intend to visit as we know road and track conditions can change significantly after weather events and travellers must be responsible for their own research on current conditions and track suitability it comes down to your responsibility so the Burrsville track has travelled heavily during peak outback travel season which is April to October by the growing breed of four-wheel drive tourists many even towing camper trailers However, do not take a trip into this region lightly, folks. All vehicles should be specifically prepared for outback driving on sometimes very, and I underline that word, very corrugated dirt roads. All travellers should understand that mobile phones are not a reliable form of communication when driving in this region. Now, the Diamantina Shire comprises the towns of Burrsford, Batuta and Baduri, and they request that UHF Channel 8 and 38 are not to be used unless in an emergency. These channels are monitored by the local clinics, police and station operators and must remain clear the best time to visit if you plan to plan your trip to arrive in Burrsville on the first weekend in September be prepared for the Burrsville races when crowds of around 6,000 plus people come from the annual horse race which is regarded as one of Australia's most famous country meetings some of the meantime temperatures, like, uh, for example, if you're silly enough to go in January, you're looking at 39 degrees plus uh, during the day. February is around about the same. March starts to drop down a bit. So 
try and bypass the December, January, February and uh, make your, your journey between April and October, around about November. Now this the weather starts hotting up to around about 35 degrees. So as I, I mentioned earlier, there is plenty to do on the Burrsville track. In particular, there's some significant sites that I recommend that you stop at. Molka Store, for example, it sold everything a drover and his family might need. It's ruins now. From Ribbons to Spurs is what they sold. It was created and run by George and Mabel Aston from the 1920s through the 1950s. George was nicknamed Paddy, or Potty rather, because of his big belly and was described by mailman Tom Cruise as a most remarkable man and he would have been a legend no matter where he lived. But it just seemed that the Burrsville Drack was the most unlikely place in the world to find such an extraordinary personality. Potty had been a soldier, police officer and Aboriginal welfare officer of the Kukathi and Panali peoples, an authority on totems and taboos and secret rituals. Potty wrote for journals and newspapers and arranged a native arts and crafts expedition at Melbourne's National Museum. It was the first time that Simpson Desert men were seen in the city and Potty catalogued museum collections and fought for the interests of Aboriginal people. You can find out more by visiting. Um, there's plenty of sites that you can visit along the way, but this one is particular interest to me was Mulca Store uh, Ruins and scattered throughout the Burrsville Track and all through that particular area of South Australia, uh, Northern South, South Australia, you'll find plenty of ruins and Lake Harry Station and who would have dreamt that Lake Harry Station used to be a date plantation it was part of a government experiment in new commercial crops the seedlings were planted in 1897 and the date palms grew well but the planters forgot one very small and very important requirement that date palms are pollinated by bees unfortunately bees can't survive in the hot dry climate of the Tirari Desert every single flower had to be pollinated by hand but pollination wasn't the only problem. The palms were attacked by corellas, munched by goats and devastated by storms. The dates spoilt in transit and freight costs were exorbitant and so the plantation actually turned out to be a financial failure. Nevertheless, the government put Lake Harry to good use. In 1910, it became a camel depot, and at that time, camels were the best way of transporting supplies over the Burrsville Track sand dunes and the Stony Gibber Plains. The camels were also used to transport bore drilling rigs too. The government installed flowing bores every 28 miles or 40 kilometres as we know, allowing drovers to bring cattle from Queensland down to Maori and from then to the markets further south. The date palms are gone from Lake Harry now, but you can still see some at Maree. Some of the remaining palms were relocated to Berry, but the weather wasn't hot enough to ripen the fruit. Perhaps there are still some of the Lake, Lake Harry's date palms there. If so, post a picture if you see one. If you can pull in and see Lake Harry Station, it's about 32 kilometres north of Maree on the Burrsville Track. The next destination, you have to stop at Mungarini because it's the only fuel stop between Burrsville and Maree. Apart from the temptations like hot food, hot showers, motel rooms, beer and the local publican's entertainment value, Mungarini has a beautiful hot bush spa. Now the desert isn't known for its ducks but here in Mungarini you'll find plenty of water birds on Birdsville's Billabong too. The desert wetlands attract heaps of bird life. Sitting in the spa, and you can sit in the spa, I wished I had my binoculars because there was a massive uh, sight to see for birds. The spa water was beautiful. The Great Artesian Basin's bore water comes out hot, often around 100 degrees centigrade. And why it's hot? Well, we'll talk about that a little later when we visit the Miramita bore. The spa temperature is controlled by adding more water. It's a beautiful place to sit on a winter's day when there's a chill in the air, particularly if you're covered too with dust. 
I wouldn't, though, recommend a bush bar in summer. You're hot enough already, but then I wouldn't recommend visiting Mungarini in summer anyway. Best to go between the end of April and early September when the temperature's cool enough for comfort. The bottom of the spa is sandy, so there's no icky stuff. Just take some of your, takes the thongs and you don't get too dusty when you're out. Now, for someone like our family who has no uh, that has an interest in cars... Uh, the old truck wrecks are strangely fascinating. They have character and speak of a bygone area. And Mungarini has quite a few rusty old trucks. It also has a shelter containing signs about Mungarini's history and geology. And around the corner in the graveyard, you'll find the grave of William Crombie, the first lessee of Mungarini Station. And uh, that is by a, a one place where you do stop, recharge the batteries. As I said, there's uh, accommodation there, or you can still continue with your free camping or have a beer at the pub. Now, as I, as I spoke about the Great Artesian Basin, well, there's no need for spa treatment along the way of the Burzville track. You just visit the Mirror Mitter Bore. And again, don't step into the bore pond, though. <clears throat> Excuse me, the water comes out again around 100 degrees. It cools down further down the creek. And I am forever amazed at the bird and animal life around a desert bore. Mirror Mitter is an absolute oasis. There are corellas in the trees. There's nothing to compare to the massive clouds of birds that we've seen in Birdsville whirling in the sky like fluid. I'd love to know how they do it without bumping into each other. Somehow, they just move as one entity. Again, these bores were sunk by the government, and you can see uh, in the distance you'll find the the oasis is sort of what points you to the direction of there's another bore. Normally, the smell in the air of the sulphur, too, is a good indication that there is a bore around. We'll take a break here on The Road Less Travelled, and when we come back from the break, we'll talk about birds. More with the show in just a moment. The Road Less Travelled podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast, hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travelled podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. If your event is looking for an MC or perhaps a trackside commentator with over 10 years commentating throughout Western Australia and Australian motocross and motorsports, Fatcat Media prides itself on providing sound industry knowledge plus versatile media experiences. And when you mention the word professionalism and entertainment trackside, look no further than the voice of WA Motorsport, Nikki Shea. That special ability to not only commentate, entertain, but interpret what's happening on and off the track with reliable information obtained from within the industry as it happens and when it happens. That unique ability to develop a perspective on the subject through research, experience, interviews and, of course, by attending events. For more information, call Nikki on 042 or visit fatcatmedia.com.au. Welcome back. We are just moments away from rolling into Burzville, but I wanted to talk to you about some of the recipes, and we've been a bit lax in some of the recipes that we've been doing on the road less travel. This one, though, is a ripper. The boss reckons that this one was one that we, I needed to pass on to you, and it's roast beef in the camp oven in this recipe we show you how easy it is to make a beef roast in the camp oven it's another simple recipe that requires pretty much little effort or time with fantastic results that will keep everyone happy cooking great food while camping and being on the road doesn't need to be difficult or need to have a whole lot of gear and this beef roast in the camp oven is so easy it tastes great and will provide the perfect ingredient for an amazing weekend or night away so when it comes to the quantities of ingredients required for cooking 
cooking a roast in the camp oven, simply follow what you'd normally do if cooking roast beef at home. In the recipe, we used 1.2 kilos of beef, which is more than enough for four people, depending on their appetite. Most roast beefs that you buy from the supermarket will be around about one to two kilograms. We usually allow about 300 to 350 grams per person. And when it comes to cuts of beef for this kind of roast in the camp oven, use whatever cut you prefer, but make sure you buy good quality beef from a butcher rather than the large supermarket chains. So 1.2 kilos of beef roast cut of the cut of your choice, four sprigs of rosemary, uh, four to six cloves of garlic, two brown onions cut in half, three to four carrots cut into two to three centimetre pieces, three to four potatoes cut into three centimetre pieces, or you can actually use a can of washed potatoes if you want, salt and pepper, dried oregano and thyme or other herbs of your choice, olive oil and gravy powder. Now, if you're on the road for a long period of time and it's more difficult to carry fresh veggies such as potatoes, you can use canned washed potatoes as a good substitute. They last for a long time and they don't get bruised and they're a great option in all sorts of other meals too, like curries, casseroles and stews. And when touring, we usually carry a few cans of these and use our fresh potatoes at the start of the trip. The first step in the preparation is to make sure you get your fire going to have a good bunch of hot coals ready for when you finish the meal preparation. And if you're using charcoal or briquettes, then get them going in your charcoal starter. We find that meal prep before we leave on a trip, uh, it's a huge time saver when we're camping and touring. And this includes vacuum sealing and freezing all our meat before we leave. However, you can do whatever you want when at camp if you prefer and if you have the time. Simply prepare the beef as you would normally do for a roast, uh, making small incisions into the meat and insert the four to six go- cloves of garlic into these little incisions rub the beef generously with olive oil using your hands then season the beef with salt and pepper and then you add the beef to your camp oven sitting it on top of a roasting trivet you should use a roasting trivet to stop the bottom of the beef burning from the heat of the coals and it also provides better heat distribution and heat circulation then you chop the onions the carrots and potatoes chop the onions in halves chop the carrots into those small pieces and as well as the spuds and if using the can of washed potatoes you won't need to chop these add all the veggies into a bowl and then add a generous amount of olive oil Uh, mix the veggies so that they're all covered in the olive oil and then season with salt and your choice of herbs we usually as i said try and use dried oregano and thyme Um, We always have these in the caravan. And once oiled and seasoned, place the veggies around the beef inside the camp oven and then just add the sprigs of rosemary on top of the beef and veggies for extra flavour. And then you just add the lid and close the camp oven up. And you should have, by now, you should have a good number of hot coals ready to start cooking your roast beef. As we're cooking a roast, we want to get an even distribution of coals on on the top and the bottom. Some say a 50-50 distribution. However, we kind of use a 40-60 distribution with more on top than the bottom. And we find that by having more coals on top, it ensures that the bottom of the roast doesn't burn and it cooks somehow more evenly. But do whatever works best for you. Add the camp oven to your coals on the ground and then add the coals to the camp oven lid. When it comes to cook times, well, it's best to work off the same times that you would when cooking a roast beef at home. And of course, the heat from your coals is going to play a massive part here. So these times are just a guide. We try and work off 25 minutes per 500 grams for medium rare to medium. Now, in this recipe, we're cooking the 1.2 kilograms. So our cook time is just over an hour. 
We though do recommend checking on how your beef, ro- um, how your roast is cooking in the camp oven halfway through. If more coals need to be added, then you just simply add them as required. And once the roast is cooked, in this instance, it was just over an hour for us. Remove the camp oven from the coals. You then remove the roast beef from the camp oven, cover it loosely with uh, tin foil or aluminium foil, and let it rest for 15 minutes. Check the veggies are cooked by poking with the knife, and if your veggies aren't cooked, you can leave them in the camp oven and then add the coals again. We then lay out some alfoil and place the cooked veggies onto the alfoil and seal them up to keep warm. So while you're waiting for the roast to rest, start making your gravy. We use old Gravox gravy powder. It's easy to pack and simple to make. There's lots of juices in the bottom of the camp oven and you can use these when making your gravy. You can boil up some water, mix a little water with your gravy powder unless what the instructions, you'll have lots of juices to add to the mixture anyway. You then remove the roasting trivet from your camp oven and then use a spoon to remove the juices, add them to the gravy mixture, stir the gravy with a fork until it combines well. Now once you're roast beef has rested for 15 minutes you can now carve it up to serve it should be pink in the middle if cooked perfectly serve with veggies on the side and the gravy the gravy should be super tasty if you've added all the juices from the camp oven too and it's an extremely easy meal to cook and it tastes amazing and you can feel free to vary the veggies and herbs depending on what you prefer or you have in your setup Give this beef, uh, roast beef recipe in the camp oven a try in your next camping adventure. And if you've got any recommendations or variation, let us know. And for more camping recipes, check them out on our Facebook page as well. And don't forget, you can interact with us at any time by direct message or uh, message on Facebook or Instagram or dropping us an email, fatcat at iinet.net.au. <laughs> Now, so you rolled into Burrsville, and one of the sites you can see is Big Red, which is the tallest dune in the Simpson Desert, which is the largest sand dune, uh, largest sand dune desert in the world, according to the Guinness Book of Records, which I did not know. Drivers see Big Red as a challenge. Many need several attempts to get to the top, particularly the crazy dudes who try to conquer Big Red in a two-wheel drive car. Actually, I think we may have been attempted that one ourselves. So Big Red gives you fantastic views across the parallel sand dunes of the Simpson Desert, and at full moon, you can see the sun setting and the moon rising at the same time, so make sure you take a bottle of wine, settle down to watch the sunset. As the name says, the sand is red, the desert is showing its age. The redness comes from the iron, which oxidises on exposure to air. And further south, the Simpson Desert sand is still white and shows that the sand is moving northwards over time. There's more about formations of the desert in the Lake Eyre Basin as well, uh, only 35 kilometres west of Burswood. Big Red is a must-see. Go get, dip your toes into the silky warm sand of the Simpson Desert. Built in around 1882 from local stands, sandstone, the Burrsville Hotel has been blown down once and burnt down twice. It's said that the ghost actually haunts the ladies' toilet. The iconic Outback Hotel is now owned by locals that rebuilt it after the last fire and now is run with a husband and wife team. A visit to Burrsville isn't complete without a meal or a drink at the Burrsville Hotel. The hotel also offers motel accommodation but book soon as they're often fully booked and you can see their website for reservation and check out their website too burrsvillehotel.com.au now you'll find plenty of places to rest your head during your journey along the Burrsville track many caravan has indeed made a successful journey along the rugged route just be sure everything is securely attached you'll be able to pull up for a rest at an array of campsites along the way including a series of bush camps at Clayton Station the Maree Caravan and Campers Park the Mungarini Hotel also makes for an ideal pit stop halfway thanks to its array of accommodation as well as its adjoining pub which serves hearty home-cooked meals in the dining room and once you reach Birdsville 
you'll find more options at your disposal. The Burrsville Caravan Park is nestled along the Burrsville Billabong and ideally located for easy access to the surrounding Simpson Desert or find something slightly more sophisticated down the road at historic Burrsville Hotel we spoke about, one of the most iconic watering holes in Australia. There are 27 modern units to enjoy, all within an easy stroll of the 1884 Sandstone Pub where a beer or two is a non-negotiable. So what's so special about Burrsville, I guess? It's uh, it's a home to a series of much-loved events which tempt travellers from far and wide. Keep an eye out for the return of these annual showcases. They will top off an excellent trip, like, as I mentioned, the Burrsville races, which see the population swell from 100 people up to six to 7,000 every September. Or July's Big Red Bash, the only music festival held in the heart of the Australian outback. But aside from these sort of adored events, Birdsville year-round is worth a wander. Sitting in Channel Country, Birdsville was originally inhabited by the Aboriginal people with the Europeans arriving in 1844, led by Charles Sturt. It's all within arm's reach of the Simpson Desert with a visit, as we know, to the 30-metre-plus high Big Red. And a must-do while you're in town is uh, also, too, is the Birdsville Billabong, which is an idyllic place to take the vivid sunset in or simply a chance to cool off from the heat with a swim. The best time of year to visit the Burrsville track between, as I said, April and through to October, and that's just so that you don't miss the swelter, as to miss rather, the sweltering heat. And once you've hit Burrsville, well, where do you go from there? We can turn around and head back down towards the Flinders Ranges, maybe out to Inaminka on the Streslaki track, Udnadatta track, so many different variations. But from Burrsville, you can head out to Tambar and then down to Windera, um, out that way, and then head up to Longreach, or you continue north up to Baduria, up to Bulia, across to Winton, and then uh, back across to the coast, or you can continue up to Mount Isa, Cloncurry, uh, across to Townsville and down that way, uh, down the coast. But uh, plenty to see and plenty to do and that's for you to plan your next adventure once you hit Burrsville where do you go from there well that is totally up to you I hope that you've enjoyed this week's adventure on the road less travel featuring the Burrsville track one of the one of the most iconic Australian outback adventures make sure that you do put it on your bucket list don't forget to to share some information on if you've done a recent trip or you've got one upcoming we'd love to hear from you and love to share your adventures as well it's as simple as just dropping us an email fatcat at iinet.net.au you follow us on social media we're also on youtube as well and i'm hoping that you've enjoyed this week's adventure on the burrsville track my name is nikki shea thanks so much for joining us and i look forward to your company somewhere out there very soon on the road less travel talk to you next week thanks for listening bye for now thanks for listening the road less traveled is presented by nikki shea and produced by fat cat media 